podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 5th of April. Hope you all had a better evening than I did last night, having to watch that absolute mess that was Chelsea nil, Liverpool nil in the Premier League. One of the worst, most turgid games of football you will ever see, largely because of Liverpool. Chelsea, to be fair to them, did try and play football. Liverpool just wouldn't allow it. Uh, Chelsea should have won the game. They had the best chances, the big chances in the match. Um, Liverpool created nothing. Just looked like a nothing team full of nothing players. Whereas for Chelsea, there was signs of promise last night. 
Kante came back first start in months and months and looked like he'd never been away. He was the best player on the pitch. Kovacic played well. Enzo played well. Felix had moments. Havertz had moments. Defensively, they looked pretty strong with Fafana, Koulibaly and Kukurea as a three. You'd wonder why it's not just Badi Ashile as the left-side centre-back, given he is a left-side centre-back and Kukurea is a wing-back, but it is what it is. Um, I've laughed at Chelsea multiple times on this podcast and others, and it's very easy to laugh at them and, you know, very easy to point out that Todd Bowley is an idiot that doesn't know what he's doing. But watching last night and taking sort of the 10,000-yard view of both teams, there's a much clearer path for Chelsea to get back to title contention than there is for Liverpool. Now, Liverpool have a manager in situ and he is proven to be one of the best managers in the world. That's something Chelsea don't have. However, what Chelsea have is a clean slate for the next manager that takes over. And as things stand, it looks like Luis Enrique is emerging as the favoured choice. He impressed apparently in his first interview. They like his experience. They like his track record. That's a significantly... A uh, better track record than Nagelsmann has purely on the basis that he won a Champions League. Uh, that's as big as you can go in club football. He's obviously managed at international level. He's got history of promoting youth and developing young players. So he does stand out as the, the choice between those two. So if they get him in, you look at their squad and pieces start to fit into place. If he wants to play a 4-3-3. Now, Kepa isn't the answer to anything in goal. Neither is Mendy. But Slanina will be in a couple of years. So what they need is a bridge. They need someone to get them to Slanina. Now, I don't think he's a, an elite level goalkeeper, but I think he's fairly solid. David Rea, who's good with his feet and Enrique had called up into the national team squad, could be the play there he'd be pretty affordable. They've got right back locked down. You've got you've got um Reese James and Malo Gusto. Left back you've got Chilwell, you've got Kukurea sorted. Don't need to touch your full backs taken care of for years to come. In the middle you've got Fafana and you own Levi Colwell. So that could be your long-term pairing with Chalaba, Bashir Humphreys, Badi Ashile as three young centre-backs to go with those two other young centre-backs in a long-term core. For the short term, you've also got Koulibaly and Thiago Silva. In midfield, you've got Enzo as your controller. You've got a plethora of box-to-box types, Kante, Kovacic, Conor Gallagher. You've got youngsters in Andre Santos, Carney Chukwameka, Cesare Caicedo. What they need is a holding midfielder, but they need that player to be more of a ball winner because Enzo will sit in control. So you're looking for a younger version of Kante, a dynamic ball winner. 
So Manuel Ugart, Man- Manu Kone, Florentino Luis, one of those three solves the midfield. In attack, you've got a bunch of wingers. You've got Raheem Sterling. You've got Noni Mudeki. You've got Christian Pulisic. And you've got Mikhailo Mudrik. You've also got Christopher Nkunku coming to the club this summer. So let's say it's Nkunku and Mudrik who are the starting wide forwards or wingers. Well, that's going to be in time, really good. Mudrik was hugely overpriced, but he's obviously a very talented player. He's got elite level speed. He's a great 1v1 dribbler. Once he learns to get his, gets his head up and gets a bit more confidence back in his game, I think he will pop in the league. Then through the middle, you've got Kai, who can also play wide, and you've got Brohia. So ideally, you're looking for a striker. You're looking for a goal scorer to go with those two, to complement everything else. And that's the third piece they need on the pitch. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, Victor Osman would be the one, but that's, that's 150 million. You don't need to go that extreme. You could go Dusan Vlahovic if Juventus need to move on from him. 70, 75 million probably gets him. Between him, Ugart, and Ray, you're probably 150 million in for the three of them. You could go a bit cheaper. You could look at a Jonathan David. Oh, they've also got David Datro Fafana as another young striker. And I didn't mention Harvey Vale or Lewis Hall, who are other exceptionally talented young players that can play in midfield or Vale can play as a wide forward. They've also got the best academy in Europe. Now, I don't think Enrique is an elite-level manager, but with that level of talent at the club and an owner who's willing to spend, they're going to stumble into the right formula. Maybe not by design, but by accident. So I think Chelsea have a much clearer path to being a Premier League champion and a Champions League winner than Liverpool do. Because Liverpool's issue is they need a massive clear out and they need about 10 players. They'll need a backup goalkeeper because Kelleher's going to want to go. They need a backup right back because Trent needs real competition. I think they need a starting left back because Robertson has declined and will continue to decline. They need two backup centre-backs. They need three starting midfielders. They need a backup midfielder. They need a backup right winger. And if Diogo Jota leaves, they'll need to replace him as well. And then next summer, when Thiago leaves because his contract expires, they'll need to replace him as well. And they'll probably need to replace Fabinho, who they might be able to get one more year out of, but he's clearly on the decline. And then in 2025, they're going to have to consider replacing Salah and Van Dijk. So all of that starts to add up to 14 or 15 players. Chelsea need three, and they don't need to then do anything for years to come. A little bit of squad maintenance, add great young talents here and there. But their big spend is done 
And the right manager will put those players in the right system to get the most out of them. Because while it's easy to laugh and say, well, there's no plan, and that's true, the right manager will have the plan. You can't deny the talent that they've brought into the club. They've overpaid for a lot of it, but they still went and got the talent. The other thing stopping Liverpool is Klopp himself. Like I say, Liverpool need a clear out. You go through the Liverpool squad, there's a lot of players there that need to go. Joe Gomez needs to go. It's time for Gomez to go. Costa Simicus needs to go. Joel Matip needs to go. Nat Phillips needs to go. Fabinho needs to go. Milner should have been gone years ago. Henderson should have been gone years ago. Oxley chamberlain is leaving anyway. Naby Keita is leaving anyway. But the likelihood of Klopp putting bait and moving on from all of these players is very, very low, especially when we hear stories that he wants to keep James Milner. When he insists on playing Jordan Henderson, who hasn't been good for three years. It's very hard to see Klopp doing what's necessary to move on from this group of players. He's standing in his own way. And this isn't just a Liverpool thing. This is what happened at Dortmund. It's why he wasn't able to rebuild Dortmund. It's what happened at Mines. It's why he wasn't able to rebuild Mines. I've said before, if Liverpool were in this position with another manager, Klopp is who you'd want. But in this position with Klopp, he's probably not the right guy. Now, he's earned the right to try and fix the mess that he's made. But it's going to take him making big, tough decisions. Decisions he's been unwilling to make in the past. And it's not just on the pitch, it's off the pitch. He needs to change that coaching staff as well. You'd look at some of these players in the squad and you'd wonder what the point is. What's the point of Curtis Jones in the squad this season? Barely played, brought in from the cold last night. The first midfield, sorry, the best of the three midfielders, despite being just about okay, he's the first one hooked off. Henderson plays the full 95, doesn't make a single tackle in the game. A Premier League midfielder who's averaging less than a tackle a game and offers nothing going forward. The epitome of a nothing player. Fabio Carvalho sat on the bench last night. Bring on James Milner when you could have brought him on and gone 4-2-3-1 and tried to win the game. Like, why is not Phillips still at the club? <laughs> why? Who is it benefiting to have Nat Phillips at the club? He's 26 years of age. 26 years of age. He's been at Liverpool since 2016. Seven years. He's played 29 games. 20 of them came in the one season where all the defenders got injured. He's played more games on loan in his career. 
between Stuttgart and Bournemouth. 40 games between those two loans, which was a year and a half, 29 games to Liverpool. Who is it benefiting to have Nat Phillips at the club? Certainly isn't benefiting Nat Phillips. Doesn't benefit him at all. You're wasting his career. Let the lad leave and go and play, even if it's a, if, if he's to step down a division. <clears throat> a shambles. There were other games last night, and not all of them were as repulsive as that one. Uh, Leeds beat Nottingham Forest 2-1. Oral Mangala put Forest one up on 12 minutes. Jack Harrison made it 1-1 on 20 minutes, reacting first after Kayla Navas saved Mark Rocca's shot. Uh, Luis Sinistera cut in from the left and bent one into the far corner just on the stroke of half-time to give Leeds a 2-1 lead. They held on to that lead, and in the second half, Leeds was the only team that looked like scoring. There are some reports today that Steve Cooper is now potentially in the firing line. And given how the table looks, Forrest are 17th, level on points with Bournemouth in 18th. You could kind of understand they've lost three of their last four, no wins in the last five. Everton are trending up. West Ham are trending up. Bournemouth are trending up. They've won two of their last five. At this point, you could maybe start to see some logic in moving on from Steve Cooper. I hope they don't. I hope they keep him. But you could see some logic in it. For Leeds, the win last night is huge. They jump all the way up to 13th. That's two wins in their last three. Only one defeat in the last four. Seven points taken. That's a really refreshing turnaround from them. They look a bit more solid defensively. And now they're right up with Crystal Palace. But, but, they're still only two points outside the drop zone. We still only have... Three points from Palace in 12th to Bournemouth in 18th. Now, there is a little gap appearing below them. It's two points to Leicester and it's two points to Southampton. Southampton are starting to hit dire straits. All of the teams from 12th down have played 29 games except West Ham. They've got two games in hand on everybody around them. So they have that to lean on, but they probably shouldn't put too much faith in their own ability to win those games. Also last night, Bournemouth nil, Brighton 2. Evan Ferguson opened the scoring on 28 minutes. Little back heel flick after a low cross from Matoma. And Julio Inciso wrapped it up on 91 minutes. Very, very cool and collected finish from him. Just froze the goalkeeper finished into the corner, gave him no chance. An 18-year-old and a 19-year-old scoring the goals for Brighton. The future for Brighton is very, very bright. Very, very bright. They're sixth in the league. They're four points off top four, but they're in better form than Tottenham or or, uh, Manchester United. They do have two games in hand on Tottenham, 
but they've played the same number as United and Newcastle, who both have 50 points like Spurs. But when you look at their squad, now, obviously, we know they'll lose one or two as things progress because that's the model of the club. But when you see players like Ferguson, you see NCSO, if you've watched what Kasper Kozlowski is doing this season, you know that the future is bright for them and that they're going to continue to develop and improve. And they've got an outstanding manager as well. For Bournemouth, it's a big defeat. They're back in the bottom three. Uh, that's disappointing for them, obviously. But they've given themselves a fighting chance in the last couple of weeks with those two wins over Liverpool and Wolves. Uh, two Was it Liverpool and Wolves? No, Liverpool and Liverpool and Fulham. Liverpool and Fulham. Um, so they're still they're still battling, and that's good to see. It is good to see. Uh, they've gotten a little bit stronger defensively. Thought they had some decent moments defensively last night, but um, they do need, as a matter of, I would say, as a matter of urgency, they need Zerbani back and back fit because he came on last night he's just a he's multi, multiple levels better than Jack Stevens and if they can line up with him and Sinisi as the two centre backs and Lloyd Kelly at left back that's pretty strong you've got Solanke with Hamid Traore behind him that's talent that's what you want to see Oatara on a wing Lerma and Billing provide a solid double pivot. You can bring Lewis Cook in and out of that as well. You've got Tavernier, you've got Semenyo, you've got David Brooks back. They need to be rotating in that other role. I I think Ryan Christie just looks a little bit out of his depth at the Premier League level, if I'm being honest. And I like him as a player. I loved him at Celtic. I just think he's a little bit out of his depth in the Premier League. Right back remains the problem for them. They've just got nobody um, Ryan Fredericks and Adam Smith just aren't of the level. They're championship players at most. And that's been a weakness for them all season. In the final game last night, Aston Villa won. Sorry. Leicester won, Aston Villa two. Ollie Watkins put Villa one up on 24 minutes. Simple ball in behind. He runs on to it, holds off two defenders. And kind of scuffs his finish, but manages to get it around Daniel Iverson and into the back of the net. It is a, a good goal. It's six and six away from home for Watkins. Harvey Barnes scored an outstanding goal on 35 minutes. Great first touch, drove in behind Ashley Young and finished really well. The game looked like it was heading for a draw. Kieran Dewsbury Hall got sent off on 70 for two silly tackles, both on Ashley Young. And on 87 minutes, Wilf Ndidi gave the ball away on the edge of his own box really cheaply. And Bertrand Traore, or as the boys over at the Villa podcast call him, Bertie T, stepped onto it first time and bent it into the top corner. Now, it's a great goal. But the thing is with Bertrand Traore, I'd be willing to bet if he tried that 10 more times, maybe he scores one more, gets two on target that the keeper saves fairly easily, and the rest of them end up assaulting fans behind the goal. 
but a tremendous finish. And Villa got the win they deserved. Now, it looked like Leicester were going to get a last-minute penalty. There was a scramble in the Villa box. Ollie Watkins got involved, tried to clear the ball, fouled Ian Acho. Penalty was given, but on VAO review, Ian Acho fouled Watkins before Watkins fouled Ian Acho. Penalty overturned Villa with the three points. Huge loss, obviously, for Leicester. Uh, 29th in the table. There's just no excuse for it. There's no excuse for how bad they've been this season. With the talent that's there, there's no excuse for that. Like, you look at the team that they sent out last night. I mean, forget Castanier, forget Suta. Woodface is decent. He's been poor this season, but he is decent. Christensen is good. Indeedy is good. Injury prone, but good. Jusby Hall is excellent. Tete is talented, but he has lost his way a little bit after a hot start there. Madison is top drawer. Barnes, I think, is top drawer. And Patson Dak is very good. He just, again, has lost his way at Leicester. There's a lot of talent there. Off the bench, you've got Ian Acho, Ricardo, Luke Thomas, and Bubakari Samari. Like, that's that's talent on the bench. That's strength and depth, even with some of the injuries that they've had. um, I, I just don't understand how they've been so poor. We have a statement from Nottingham Forest. No one denies that our club is in a difficult position in the Premier League, but we wish to end the speculation and the false and disruptive reporting in the media to confirm that Steve Cooper remains our manager at Nottingham Forest. So this was journalists from TalkSport and the Daily Mail. If you remember back a few months back, when Cooper got the new contract in the face of all the speculation that he might go, it was TalkSport who were saying he'd be out the door. I'm not sure if it was Alex Crook this time, but it was Alex Crook the last time. The guy is a charlatan and a fraud, one of the worst journalists in the country, and has absolutely no sources anywhere. He's the one that was behind that lie months back. I bet he was the one behind some of this as well. Good to see Forrest coming out and shutting that down and standing by the manager. He, I think, has done a pretty good job given the circumstances. I could understand now if they decided to move on, but I do think given he had to blend an entirely new squad in one season, I think that's pretty impressive. We've seen how hard it can be. Look what happened to Graham Potter. Remember as well, Cooper did better than Potter at Swansea. So while Potter gets a lot of love, I think Steve Cooper has outperformed him on a number of steps of the way. Um, That's what we have with the Premier League then from last night. Liverpool move up to eighth. Oh, no, they don't. They stay in eighth. Uh, Villa move up. No, Liverpool do move up. No, I'm wrong. We overtook Brentford. We overtook Brentford, but Villa overtook us. So we stay in eighth and Brentford drop to ninth because Villa jumped to seventh. That's that's great. Uh, Fulham are tenth. Bad news for Fulham yesterday. Alexander Mitrovic banned for eight games 
I think it's too harsh. I think five would have been enough. I saw Henry Winter come out and say it was just about right. Three for the red card. Three for violent conduct. There was no violent conduct. He pulled his arm. He didn't push him. Henry Winter pushing the narrative that Mitrovic pushed him. That didn't happen. And then he says a two-game ban for insulting language. I see players swearing at referees all the time. I see English players swearing at referees more than anybody. I don't see Henry Winter calling for them to get two-game bans. The double standard here is incredible. Eight games is ridiculous for that. It really is. Fulham are safe, so it doesn't really matter. But it looks like they'll probably end up finishing 10th or 11th. Chelsea, you would think, will overtake them, but you just you don't know. Um, but yeah, Fulham season is over. They're they're going to be on the beach for the next while because mission accomplished. They're going to be in the Premier League for a second season, and that's what they set out to do. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go all around Europe, up and down the leagues, have a look at what took place at the weekend, how the leagues shake out. And then we'll have the news and the gossip and we'll be done. So we will see you in a sec. Uh, recorder, I'm fit. Right. Welcome back. So let's take a trip around Europe and see what took place at the weekend. In the Bundesliga, we had Eintracht Frankfurt 1, Bochum 0. Randall Kolomuani continues his good season. He scored from the penalty spot to equalise after Asano had put Bochum 1 up. Schalke 0, Leverkusen 3. I watched this game. Leverkusen played some fantastic football. They're still a bit too open at the back for my liking, but some of the football going forward is sensational. Jeremy Frimpong is an outstanding young right back. He scored the first. Florian Wirtz scored the second. He might be one of my favourite players to watch in Europe. And Sardar Ausman made it three in stoppage time. Comfortable win for Leverkusen. A good win for Leverkusen. They continue on the right track. Union Berlin three. Stuttgart nil. Becker, Bayrans and a Haraguchi own goal in that one. Stuttgart looking like a team set for relegation. Union Berlin looking like a team that could well find themselves in the Champions League next year. Uh, Wolfsburg 2, Augsburg 2. Max Arnold scored an own goal and Mergen Berisha scored to put Augsburg 2 up within 32 minutes. Luca Walschmidt scored on 83 and then Felix Nemecha scored on 96 minutes to earn Wolfsburg a battling from behind point. Freiburg won. Hertha Berlin won. Griffo put Freiburg one up. Gangham scored in the 97th minute to equalise and give Hertha a hard-earned point. RB Leipzig nil, Mines three. Ingvertsen, Ajorka and Kor with the goals in that one. Disastrous result for Leipzig. Bayern four, Dortmund two in Der Klassiker. Der Klassiker? Der Klassiker. Um... Kobel with the weirdest own goal I think I've ever seen on 13 minutes. If you haven't seen, this is this is magnificent stuff. Upa Meccano plays a fairly aimless, hopeful ball from just inside his own half. 
Sané tries to get on the end of it, is never really getting close to it. Kubo comes out. I don't think he touches the ball. I think he just kicks the air, but he's been credited with the own goal. It runs past him. Sané, to his credit, could have tapped it in. And I think if he knew it would have gone down as an own goal, he probably would have tapped it in. But I'm guessing he thought it was Upa Meccano's goal, so he left it. It should go down as an Upa Meccano goal. I'm hopeful it will get changed because it's just funny for that way. Uh, Thomas Muller made it two on 18 minutes. He then made it three on 23 minutes. Kingsley Coleman made it four on 50. Bayern were rampant. They tore Dortmund apart. Emery, Ka- Emery Chan equalized, oh sorry, equalized, <laughs> pulled one back on 72 minutes from the penalty spot after Jude Bellingham was fouled. And then Daniel Mallon scored in the 90th minute to put a bit of respectability on the scoreline, but this was a one-sided ass-kicking. Uh, there was no respectability about it for Dortmund. Uh, Cologne nil, Munch and Gladbach nil, and then Werder Bremen won, Hoffenheim two. Kramerich and Baumgartner scored within two minutes of each other to give Hoffenheim a 2-0 lead. Uh, Piper scored to pull one back for Werder. The table, all teams have played 26 points. Bayern are now top, two points clear of Dortmund, who are two points clear of Union Berlin, who are four points clear of Freiburg, who are two points clear of Leipzig. And it is basically down to those five for the four Champions League spots. Then it's a four-point gap to Eintracht Frankfurt, who've got 41 points. Then Leverkusen, who've won four in a row, up into seventh. Mines, who've won three of their last four and um, three of the last five and are unbeaten in five in eighth, seven uh, level on points with Leverkusen. Then Wolfsburg on four, uh, 39 points. Then a seven point, glap, uh, seven point gap to Gladbach, who are a point clear of Werder Bremen, who are two points ahead of Augsburg. Then it's Cologne, Bochum, Hoffenheim, Hertha, Schalke. And Stuttgart. I would say it basically comes down to Bochum, Hoffenheim, Hertha, Schalke and Stuttgart as to who will go down. I believe it's two automatic relegation spots and one goes into a playoff. Right now, you'd be hard-pressed to find any logical Stuttgart fan who thinks they're going to stay up. It looks like they'll go down. Schalke will probably join them. And then my guess would be that Hertha are going to the playoff. The three-point gap to Hoffenheim, I think Hoffenheim will have enough about them to stay up. Um, On to La Liga. Mallorca nil, Osasuna nil. Girona two, Espanyol one. Martinez and Stuani with the goals for Girona. Braithwaite scored for Espanyol. Athletic Club de Bilbao nil, Hatafe nil. Cadiz nil, Sevilla 2, good win for Sevilla, who've had a disgraceful season. Ocampos and En Naziri with the goals there. Elche nil, Barcelona 4, 2 for Lewandowski, 1 for Ansu Fati, and 1 for Ferran Torres. Celta Vigo 2, Almeria 2, Seferovic and Perez with the goals for Celta, Babic and Martinez with the goals for Almeria. 
Real Madrid 6 <clears throat> via delayed nil. Rodrigo, a hat-trick from Benzema. Marcus, Marco Asensio and Lucas Vasquez with the goals for Real. Villarreal 2, Real Sociedad 0. Danny Pereo and Nicholas Jackson with the goals there. Jackson was also sent off later in that game. Atletico Madrid 1, Real Betis 0. Angel Correa with the only goal of the game. And finally, Valencia 1, Rayo Vallecano 1. Comasana had scored on 9 minutes for Vallecano. Uh, Justin Clivert with an 82nd minute penalty got Valencia a much needed point because they're right in the mix for relegation. Barcelona top 71 points. All these teams have 27 games played. So nine games to go. They're 12 points clear of Real Madrid, who are a further five points clear of Atletico Madrid. Then it's a six point gap to Real Sociedad. So the top three look locked in for next season's Champions League. Um, Atletico Madrid have won four in a row and are playing some of the most attractive football they've ever played under Diego Simeone, which is a very weird thing to to accept. Um, Real Sociedad are fourth on 48 points. Real Betis are fifth on 45. Villarreal are a point behind Betis. Bilbao are down on 37 points in 7th seventh, seventh place, level in points at Rayo Vallecano. Then it's Osasuna, Celta Vigo, Girona, Mallorca, Sevilla on the up, three, two wins from the last three. Hitafe, Cadiz, Valladolid, Valencia, Espanyol, Almeria. And Elche are done. They're gone. They're 14 points behind Almeria. Write them off. There's two relegation spots there that could still take in anybody from Almeria, I would say, up to Sevilla. It's a four-point swing. You could even say Mallorca because they're in a dreadful run of form on 33 points. So quite similar to the Premier League in how condensed it is at the bottom and how many teams could fall away. A couple of defeats here or there, a couple of wins here and there can change everything. Uh, Espanyol currently on an awful run, four defeats in a row. Moving to Serie A, Cremonese won Atalanta three. Darun, Boga and Luckman with the goals for Atalanta. Uh, Siofani with a penalty for Cremonese. Inter nil, Fiorentina won. Bonaventura with the only goal of the game. Juventus won, Verona nil, Moise Keane with the only goal there. Bologna 3, Udinese 0. Stefan Posh, Nicola Morrow, and Musa Barrow, who's very talented, with the goals there. Monza 0, Lazio 2. Pedro and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic scoring for Lazio. Spezia 1, Salernitana 1. Shimorodov scored for Spezia to equalise after a Mattia Caldara own goal had put Salonatana one up. Roma three, Sampdoria nil. Wijnaldum, Dybala and El Shawari with the goals. Jason Murillo sent off for Sampdoria. Interesting moment in that match where the Roma, not interesting, sickening moment in that match where the Roma fans began to chant racist things about Dejan Stankovic, who's currently manager of Sampdoria, 
And Jose Mourinho came out of his dugout to quieten them down. He managed Stankovic, has a good relationship and a good friendship with him from their time together at Inter Milan. And you could see how grateful Stankovic was for Mourinho's actions. But Roma fans should be ashamed of themselves, as should Juventus fans. Last night in a Coppa Italia game, Inter versus Juve. Juve won up, Inter get a last-minute penalty. Up steps Lukaku. He scores. He does his celebration. He puts his finger to his lips to shush the Juve fans who have been hurling racist abuse at him. And somehow, because Juan Cradado goes talking to the referee, Lukaku gets a second yellow card for over-celebrating and gets sent off. So he got racially abused. Another black man told tales on him and he got sent off. Absolutely bizarre that Cuadrado would get involved in that. Now, I get you're looking for some sort of advantage in the game, but there's a bigger picture to look at here. And the referee should be ashamed of himself for his actions. Juventus have issued a statement saying they'll look into it. Serie A have said they'll look into it. Inter haven't said a whole lot of much yet, but I'd like to see them come out and be forceful in their backing of Romelu Lukaku. <clears throat> that red card should be overturned. Um, quite shameful. Quite shameful. And Italian football, unfortunately, has a major problem with racism. I don't know enough about Italian culture to tell you that it's endemic in their day-to-day lives. I don't know if it's something that just comes out when football gets played. Is it like in England where there's a, a lot of racism in the stands towards players, but it's not as prevalent in day-to-day life, but there is that consistent undercurrent of it? I don't know. Is it more overt in Italy? I, I'd be curious to know. The Italian people I know have never shown any inclination of racism, but again, it, it's a small sample size. It's, it's you, you pick your friends based on how you how you view them as people. You know, you're not going to be friends with that type of person if if there is those type of people. Um, Napoli nil, Milan four. This was a big surprise. Napoli just just rolled over. Rafael Leao put Milan one up on 17. Brahim Diaz made a two on 22. Sorry, 25. Uh, Leao made a three on 59. And Salamakers made it four on 67. What What's interesting here is Napoli had more shots on goal and more of the ball. Milan just cut them apart on the counter time and again. Leao was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Empoli won Lecce nil. Caputa, Caputa with a penalty to give Empoli the win. Uh, Lorenzo Tonelli sent off in the last minute. Uh, Sassuolo won. Torino won. Uh, Pinamonto scored on 36. Sanabria scored on 66 to equalize for Torino. The table. Napoli still running away with the league. 16 points clear of Lazio with 10 games left. 20 points clear of third place, Milan. Inter on 50, 
Roma on 50. They're battling it out for that last Champions League spot. But coming up on the horizon is Juventus. Now, they had 15 points taken off them. If it wasn't for that 15-point deduction, they would be second on 59 points. But they're sitting seventh on 44, six points outside the Champions League spot. They've won the last three in a row, whereas Inter have lost the last three in a row, lost four of five, and Roma have lost three of the last five. So there is the possibility that Juve will will somehow manage to scramble their way back into the top four. Atalanta sit between them and Roma on 48 points. Their form is a bit mixed, but they have won the last two. So Napoli, Lazio, Milan, Inter, Roma, Atalanta and Juve. It's a four-point gap from Juve to Bologna. They're leveling points of Fiorentina, who are in outstanding form and have won five games in a row. Then it's Torino, Udinese, after their good start, it all kind of fell apart. But they have been a bit better over the last five games, bar the defeat at the weekend. Sassuolo's running, uh, winning run came to an end, but they've turned things around massively themselves. Uh, they're 12th, Monza 13th, Empoli 14th, Salonatana 15th, Lecce 16th, Spezia 17th. Then it's Verona, Sampdoria and Cremonese, and they look like they're the three who'll go down. Uh, Verona are six points behind Spezia. Sampdoria are four points behind Verona. So Sampdoria are going. Cremonese are going. They're bottom on 13 points. One win all season. And Verona look like they'll be the third to go. Now, keep an eye on Lecce. They've lost five in a row. They're eight points above safety, but they've lost five in a row. And they are in a massive tailspin and don't look like they've got any idea how to fix it. So maybe, just maybe, if Verona could pick up a couple of wins, Lecce might be the team that they can jump. I think Spezia will do enough to stay up. They've only lost one of five, taking six points from those five. So they're grinding away and getting points. But Lecce look a mess. Uh, In France, then, Marseille won, Montpellier won, Matteo Guendouzi equalising from the penalty spot after Arnaud Norden had put Montpellier 1-up. Auxerre won Troyes nil, Mbappé Niang with the only goal there. Ren nil, Lens 1, uh, Openda scoring there. He's in a good run of form. Lille 3, Laurent 1. Cabela and 2 for Zagrova. Two late, late goals. Uh, Ibrahim Akone had equalised for Laurent after the Cabela goal. Abergel got sent off on 79, and it looked like it was going to end 1-1. And Shigova scored in the 89th and 91st minute to give Lille the win. Uh, Clermont 2, Ajeco 1. Angers 1, Nice 1. Terra Moffi scoring there for Nice, big January signing. Nance nil, Ream three, Flips got two, Manetzi got one, uh, Brest three, Toulouse one, Stephen, Steve Mooney or uh, Mooney or whatever the name, way his name is, I think he's the guy, that, isn't he the guy that used to play for Huddersfield? I think he's the guy that used to play for Huddersfield. Certainly looks like him. Yeah, I think he is. Um, Monaco four. 
Strasbourg three. Vanderson put Monica one up. Matiba and a Maripan own goal put Strasbourg two one up. Ben Sakir, Diop, and Fafana put Monaco 4 2 up. Fafana was then sent off. Habib Diallo scored late to make it 4 3, but Monaco get the win. And then PSG 0, Leon 1, Bradley Bracola with the only goal of the game. Another defeat for PSG, who all of a sudden just look a little bit human. Lens are six points behind them, but. They just look a little bit more human now. Uh, PSG top, then Lens, then Marseille, then Monaco. They're the top four. I think it's only top three get Champions League automatic though, isn't it? Then uh, Lille are five points behind Monaco. Then Rennes, Reims, Nice, Lyon. Even with that win, they're still in mid-table. Laurent, Montpellier, Clermont, Toulouse, Nantes, Brest, Strasbourg, Auxerre. Troy's Ajeko and Andrews. Andrews are gone. Ajeko look a fair bet to go down as well. Troy's are a bit of a mixed bag, but I think it's probably going to be those three. There's a five-point gap between Troy's and 18th and Auxerre in 17th, so that would be my guess. To Portugal, we move next, where we had Estoril Preia 1, Gil Vicente 0. Vesela 3, Casapia 1, Vitoria 0, Pacos Ferreira 0, Sporting 3, Santa Clara 0, Polinho, Trincao and Marcus Edwards with the goals for Ruben Amram's team, who have really got themselves in a good groove of late. Chavez 1, Braga 2, Abel Ruiz with the winner in that one, uh, Maritimo 4, Boa Vista 2, Rio Ave nil, Benfica one, Goncalo Ramos scoring, Ramos scoring. Benfica continue their march towards the title. Porto one, Porto Menens nil, Fabio Rafael Rodriguez Cardoso with the only goal of the game. And Familiqueo nil, Aroca uh, one. So Benfica top 10 points clear of Braga. Sorry, 10 points clear of Porto, who are two points clear of Braga. They're a further six points clear of Sporting, but Sporting do have a game in hand, and Sporting have won five in a row. Then it's Aruka, 12 points behind Sporting. Vitoria, Casapio, Vesela, Rio Ave, Familiqueo, Chavez, Bovista, Gil Vicente, Porto Menens, Estoril Perea, Maritimo, Pacos Ferreira, and Santa Clara, and those bottom three look like they will be the bottom three. There's a six-point gap between Maritimo and Estero Prea. Um, we'll do the uh, Eri Divisi, because it's been fairly interesting this season. Alkmaar won, Heronveen won. Excelsior nil, 20 nil. NEC 2, PSV 4. Two for Luke De Jong in that one. One for Joey Verman, who's an interesting midfielder. Canberra won, Emin 2. Late winner for Emin in that one. Uh, Walwick 1, Vitesse 0, Go Ahead Eagles 0, Ajax 0. Big disappointment for Ajax to drop points there. Utrecht 0, Volendam 0, Sparta Rotterdam 1, Feyenoord 3, Feyenoord in great form. Fortuna, Stitt- Fortuna 
Sittard, Sittard, Fortuna Sittard, three, Groningen, one. So, Feyenoord, five wins in a row. They are eight points clear at the top of the table. Ajax and PSV both sitting on 56 points. Alkmaar on 54. Then it's a six-point gap to 20. And Sparta, Rotterdam, Utrecht, Walwick, Heronveen, NEC, Sittard, Go Ahead Eagles, Volendam, Vitesse, Emmen, Excelsior, Groningen, and Cambor. I'm not sure who go. I think it's two go down from the area divisie. And if it is, Cambor and Groningen are going down. Um, it looks like Feyenoord are going to win the league title, which is is excellent. It's always nice to see when they win the league title because it doesn't happen all that often. But we saw them win it under Gio van Bronckhorst and now it looks like they will do it again under Arnie Slot. Uh, on to the Scottish Premiership before we move south to England. St. Johnston nil, Aberdeen won. Remy Matthews with an own goal giving Aberdeen the three points. Um, Andrew Considine sent off after six minutes for St. Johnston, which is impressive. Graham Shinney sent off after 91 minutes for Aberdeen. So fair to say Aberdeen got the better of the red card battle and get the better of the three points. St. Mirren three, Livingston nil. Marco O'Hara scored two penalties and former Celtic player Tony Watt added the third. Well, he actually added the second before O'Hara's second penalty. Kilmarnock, two. Hearts, one. Shankland had put Hearts, one up. Daniel Armstrong, penalty. And Kristen Doidge with the goals to put Killy in front. Rory McKenzie sent off on 60 minutes for Kilmarnock, but they did hold on to collect all three points. Hibernian, one. Motherwell, three. Big win for Motherwell away from home. Sean Goss, uh, Van Veen penalty. And Van Veen again giving Motherwell the win. Kevin Nisbet scoring for a Hibs, but it turned out to be nothing more than a consolation. Rangers 2, Dundee United 0. Malik Thielman with both goals. Ross County 0, Celtic 2. Jota scored a stoppage time penalty in first half. And then Benarby scored in stoppage time in the second half to give Celtic the victory. Uh, Celtic top nine points clear of Rangers. Both sides have won five games in a row. Rangers are... Rangers are 31 points clear of Hearts in third. 31 points between second and third is ludicrous. Uh, Hearts are one point ahead of Aberdeen, but Aberdeen have won four in a row. And Hearts have lost three in a row. So, looks like Aberdeen might end up in third. Then it's St. Mirren, Hibernian, Livingston, Motherwell. That win was a big one for them. St. Johnston, Kilmarnock, Ross County, and Sad Sacks, Dundee United at the bottom of the table. Uh, we will move to England, to the Championship, where things are just mental. Um, Burnley nil, Sunderland nil, in what was a bit of a snooze fest. Luton 2, Watford 0. That's a big rivalry game. So big win for Luton. Osho and Campbell with the goals there. Preston 3, Blackpool 1. That's a big rivalry. Uh, Potts, Whiteman and Cannon put Preston 3 up. Jerry Yates with a consolation goal 
for Blackpool. Norwich won, sorry, Norwich nil, Sheffield United won. James McAtee on loan from Man City with the only goal of the game. Huddersfield 4, Middlesbrough 2. Big surprise in this one. Ruffles, Coroma and 2 for Pearson scoring the goals for Huddersfield. Uh, Marcus Fours had actually put Borough 1 up. Then they went to 4-1 down and Chupa Chuba Akpom, Chuba Akpom, I can never get his name right. Chuba Akpom, I can never get his name right. Um, he he scored to make it 4-2, make it a bit more respectable. Uh, yeah, the Neil Warnock effect, as Guy points out. Hull nil, Rotherham nil. Bristol City won, Reading won. Uh, Tommy Conway scored for Bristol, Lucas Yao for Reading. Coventry nil, Stoke four. Massive defeat for Coventry, who were, you know, pushing for that promotion spot, that that playoff spot. Jacob Brown, Therese Campbell, Will Smallbone, and Key Yana Hoiver with the goals there. Cardiff 2, Swansea 3. Again, another big rivalry game. Joel Perot put Cardiff 1 up. Liam Cullen doubled their lead. Jaden Filigen pulled one back for Cardiff. Sorry, Kappa, sorry, Kappa scored for Cardiff to make it 2-2. But in the 99th minute, Ben Cabango, which has to be one of the best names going, uh, he scored to make it 3-2 and give Swansea a big win over their Welsh rivals. Wigan won QPR nil. Great win for Wigan, who've been dreadful this season. Max Power with a penalty on six minutes. QPR were dreadful. Uh, West Brom nil, Millwall nil, and Birmingham won Blackburn Rovers nil in the Robbie Savage derby. Ready, Reda Kadra with the only goal of the game in that one. So you had big rivalries there. Luton Watford, Preston Blackpool, and our friends in Wales. Um, all, all good games. Uh, Burnley still top, nine points clear of Sheffield United. Looking great value to go up. Uh, Only eight games left. United, for their part, are six points clear of Middlesbrough. Borough have played a game more, but that defeat was a big one for Borough because they've been in a really good run of form and they've been brilliant since Carrick took over. Luton are up to fourth. Millwall are fifth. Blackburn are sixth. Then it's Norwich then Coventry, and they're now four points outside the relegations, outside the playoff spots with a game extra played. That's why that defeat for Coventry was so big against Stoke. Then it's West Brom, who've had a massive turnaround under Corberon. Then Preston, then Watford, who are just a mess, an absolute mess. Then Sunderland, then Stoke, then Bristol City, Swansea, Birmingham, Hull, QPR, Rotherham, Reading, Cardiff, Huddersfield, giving themselves a chance at at survival. Eight points from the last five games, back-to-back wins. Then it's Blackpool, then it's Wigan. I would say everybody from QPR down could potentially get relegated. There's only three points between QPR and Huddersfield. I think Wigan look a fair bet to go. I think Blackpool do as well. But I think there's five teams that could take that last spot. Into League One. 
Barnsley 5, Morecambe 0. Derby County 0, Ipswich Town 2. Cheltenham 0, Burton Albion 0. Charlton 6, Shrewsbury 0. Peterborough 0, Oxford 0. Portsmouth 1, Forest Green 0. Return to losing ways for Big Dunk. Port Vale 0, Cambridge 2. Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday 1, Lincoln 1. Fleetwood 2, Exeter 2. And Wickham 2, MK Dons 2. Sheffield Wednesday are top. They haven't won in five games. The gap they had built at the top of the table is gone. Two wins and three draws from their last five, while Plymouth have won four of their last five. And Plymouth now have a game in hand on them. Not only that, they're level on points. Not only that, but Ipswich are third, two points behind Sheffield Wednesday. They've won five in a row, and they have a game in hand. Barnsley are up to fourth. They've won four of five. They're five points behind Sheffield Wednesday. They have a game in hand. So not looking good for Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. Um, behind Barnsley, there is an 11-point gap to Bolton, who are now level on points with Peterborough. Derby are seventh, level on points. So two of those three would take the playoff spot at the moment, but Derby have lost four or five. It's not looking good. Uh, Wickham are two points behind Derby in eighth. Then it's Portsmouth. Then a six-point gap to Shrewsbury. So anyone from Pompey up could still make the playoffs. Then Shrewsbury, then Exeter, then Charlton, then Fleetwood, Lincoln City, Bristol Rovers, Cheltenham, Port Vale, Burton, MK Dons, Oxford, Accrington, Stanley, Morecambe, Cambridge, and Forest Green. Remember, four go down here. There's a five-point gap from Accrington to MK Dons. I'd say MK Dons might be the last team that could go down. So that will be them, Oxford, plus the bottom four. I think Burton will be okay. Uh, into League 2. Tranmere won, Harrogate won. Stoke won, Salford won. Sorry about your troubles, Gary Neville. Bradford City 3, Grimsby Town 2. Leighton Orient 1, Carlisle 0. Barrow 2, Gillingham 1. Walsall 1, Sutton United 1. Mansfield Town 4, Crawley Town 1. AFC Wimbledon 0, Rochdale 1. Doncaster 0, Crew Alexandra 2. Colchester 0, Newport County 0. Hartlepool 2, Swindon 1. Sorry about your troubles, Paul Sturrett. Paul Sturrett. Why can't I say my friend's name? Uh, not Northampton Town won, Stevenage won. Uh, that means Leighton Orient are top seven points clear of Northampton, who are two points clear of Stevenage. Uh, Leighton Orient also have a game in hand there. So fair bet that they're coming up. Three automatic promotion spots here. After Stevenage, there's a two-point gap to Carlisle, and then a further two points to Stockport and Bradford. Salford currently hold the last playoff spot, but Mansfield are only two points behind and have a game in hand. Then it's Barrow, Sutton United, Swindon, Doncaster, Walsall, Tranmere, Grimsby, AFC Wimbledon, Crewe, North ha- Northport, Newport County, Gillingham, Harrogate, Colchester, Crawley, Hartlepool, and Rochdale. Two go down, 
Rochdale, Rochdale looked like one probably between Harrogate, Colchester, Crawley and Hartlepool for the other. Into the National League, Altrincham nil, Notts County 2, Wrexham 5, Oldham 1, uh, Paul Mullen Hattrick in that one. It was 4-1 when the sending off happened. Uh, Fondup Tallum was sent off in 89 and Mullen wrapped up his hat-trick on 93. So didn't really impact the game at all. Uh, Maidstone nil, Borehamwood four, Maidenhead nil, Chesterfield nil, Wheelstone versus Aldershot was postponed, Dagenham Redbridge nil, Dorking Wanderers two, Scunthorpe nil, Torquay United one, Bromley four, Solihull Moors nil, Yeovil nil, Southend two, York City one, Barnet nil. Yesterday we had a game in the uh, conference as well. It was Gateshead four, Yeovil nil. Uh, the league is as follows. Wrexham top, three points clear of Notts County with the game in hand. There is then a 25-point gap to Woking in third. Then Chesterfield, then Barnet. They're the playoff teams as things stand. Boreham are only two points behind Barnet, though, and Eastleigh are only a point behind Boreham Wood, so they're both still in the mix. Uh, then it's Bromley, Southend, Wheelstone, Solihull Moors, Dagenham and Redbridge, Altrincham, Maidenhead, Oldham, York, Halifax, Dorking, Gateshead, Aldershot, Yeovil, Torquay, Scunthorpe and Maidstone United, 10 points adrift, certainly getting relegated. They've got five games left. They'd need need to win all five to have a real chance here. Uh, Wrexham look certainty to come up. I think Notts County are going to have to go the playoff route and hopefully they'll come up through the playoffs because they have been comfortably better than everybody else. Like the top two have lost two games each. Boreham would have lost nine and everybody else has double figures. Wrexham have scored 105 goals. Notts County, 103 goals. The next highest is Barnet with 72. Wrexham have a goal dif- have conceded 36, as have Notts County. Woking are next on 41. No, sorry, I'm wrong. Boreham would have actually got the best defensive record in the league. 33 goals conceded. But they've only scored 48. So they've conceded three goals less, but they've scored over 50 less, 55 and 57 less. Wrexham's goal difference, plus 69, Notts County plus 67. Barnet with the third best goal difference, uh, third best goal tally, theirs is plus nine because they've conceded 63 goals. Mental. Yeah, hopefully Wrexham will come up. They've got six games left. They're, that's a staggering points hole. Even with 40 games played, to get 100 points is incredible. Um, And that's it. That's where we stand in all the different divisions. So I hope that wraps that up. A little bit of news. Uh, Ched Evans, you'll remember him. He spent time in prison for rape. Um, He's currently playing for Preston, and he requires surgery after developing a serious medical condition 
from repeated high force contact. The championship's club said the 34-year-old faces potentially life-changing consequences. In a statement, Preston said they consulted with the country's leading specialists over the past week. More common in football and rugby players, the condition requires surgery to address his current symptoms. This has got to be a head injury. This has got to be something to do with with his head. It's got to be something to do with concussion or something. Now they're saying there's a good chance he'll play again, but if there's life-altering, life-changing consequences. Interesting. Wait and see what that one is. Um, A referee in Mexico, Fernando Hernandez, has been given a 12-match ban for kneeing a player in the groin. Fernando Hernandez has been suspended for 12 matches after kneeing a player in the groin during America's match against uh, Leon on Sunday. He kneed Leon's Lucas Romero as he and teammates angrily demanded a VAR review after America's equaliser. Romero himself, having been kneed in the testicles, has been given a two-match ban. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. I want to see more of this. I want to see referees and players scrapping. It'd be fantastic television. Um, Chelsea have made contact with Julian Nagelsmann and Luis Enrique about becoming the club's next manager. I think it'll be Enrique because I think they think Nagelsmann's too young or Nagelsmann, 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 who knows? I think they think he's too young, too inexperienced and won't command the room. This made me laugh. Chelsea could appoint Frank Lampard as caretaker boss until the end of the season. Wouldn't this be a joyous thing? This would be a sign that Big Todd has had a look around and thought, you know what, season's done. We've got no chance of the Champions League. But you see that relegation battle? Give me a bit of that. You've probably got too many points to go down, but Frank would give it a hell of a go. Brighton's Italian boss, Roberto De Zerbi, is not being considered as a potential candidate for Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea are on Tony Bloom's shit list. And De Zerbi doesn't have a buyout clause, regardless of what De Marzio and the spoofer with the catchphrase want to tell you. No buyout clause. Having been sacked by Chelsea, Graham Potter is a candidate to become the next West Ham manager, with the club set to consider the future of David Moyes in the summer. I hadn't really considered Potter to West Ham, but it would make a lot of sense. There's a lot of talent there, and it's a big club, and if he wants to stay in London... Would make sense. Both De Zerbi and Nagelsmann Nagelsmann have uh, indicated they are not interested in the Tottenham job. Now, I can potentially see that coming from De Zerbi. However, this is Graham Bailey, and as we have established, he is a spoofer. Uh, former Crystal Palace manager Patrick Vieira could be Nottingham Forest next manager if the club decide to sack Steve Cooper. Now, obviously, the club have come out and said they are not going to sack Steve Cooper. So shame on you, Sam Brooks, for making things up. You will be added to the list, the ever-growing list of spoofers. 
Argentina forward Lionel Messi is unlikely to reach an agreement with PSG to extend his stay. Well, that flies in the face of what, you know, the great man Fabrizio Romano was telling us all months ago. Saudi Arabian club Al-Halil have made an official offer to Messi worth £350 million a year. (laughs) A year. That's magnificent. Imagine how upset Cristiano will be. Imagine the tantrum when he finds out Messi's earning three times as much as him. Manchester United, Liverpool and Tottenham have all expressed interest in activating the release clause of Kim and Jay. I doubt it. James Ward-Prowse is a summer target for Manchester United. I would love it to be true. I doubt it is true. And given the name of the piece is Fraser, Fraser Fletcher, definitely not true. Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Everton, Wolves, uh, Burnley and Middlesbrough are all considering a move for Alfredo Morales. I, I wouldn't imagine so at this point. Liverpool have switched their attention to Brighton and Ecuador midfielder Moises Caicedo. Oh, I hope that's true and I hope it happens. Wolves are preparing to make a move to sign Danny Ceballos. Uh, He's on a free. But again, it's 90minute.com. Again, it's Graham Bailey. So again, you just mark it down to spoofing. Ajax are keen to bring Donny van de Beek back to the club this summer. Um, Again, it's Fraser Fletcher. Again, we're going to mark it as spoofing. Serbia forward Dusan Vlahovic will be open to joining Arsenal this summer. I don't think Arsenal will be open to buying him, though, but I do think Chelsea should. Liverpool will allow Naby Keita to leave on a free. They don't allow him. He's chosen to leave on a free. You imbecile, Fabrizio. They offered him a new deal, and he said no, and he's running away as fast as he can. Sampdoria will not make their loan move for Tottenham and England midfielder Harry Wings permanent. Because of the financial problems of the club. No, it's because he's been awful and they're getting relegated. That's why. Jesus wept. Right, that's me for today, folks. Thanks as always. And I will see you tomorrow. Send your questions in on Discord and on Twitter if you have any. And other than that, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.